Hello, my name's Heather and I run a bookshop called Fairfield Books in the inner north of Melbourne. Our address is 117A Station Street, Fairfield. We're an independent bookshop, but with a particular emphasis on children's books. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. We have a website, www.fairfieldbooks.com.au and we have regular newsletters you can subscribe to. Enjoy your reading and this podcast. Danny, Danny, thank you so much for having me back. And it's a joy to be back. And I believe you put a good spell uh, on the journey of Boy Swallows Universe about two years ago. And um, I've never, ever forgotten uh, how kind and generous you were to have me on early on um, when Trent Dalton and the world of uh, literary fiction were were pretty strange to each other. And uh, I was very touched that you took the time of day, and, I'm, and it's so cool that you took the time of day again. Who wouldn't want to celebrate the Words and Nerds fabulous podcast? Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. On this podcast, we chat about books, the writing process, and how literature has the power to change the world. I'm your host, Danny B. Today, I am super excited to welcome JP Palmare for the third time to the Words and Nerds podcast. You can catch JP on episodes 71 and 152, chatting about In the Clearing and Call Me Evie. JP Palmare is an award-winning writer. He has hosted the On Writing podcast since 2015. His first novel, Call Me Evie, was critically acclaimed and won the Naya Marsh Award for Best Novel. In the Clearing was a bestseller and Tell Me Lies, a number one audible bestseller. Today we're going to talk about The Last Guests. Welcome back. What an impressive bio, JP. Yeah, that was awesome. There's, um, you say, 71 and what was there, 100? 152. What are we at now? What is this we'll one? be creeping towards 400, JP. Wow. <laughs> Accelerated. Yes. Because the gaps between books are probably one year between the first two and then this is about a year and a half. Mm, yes. Well, I did accelerate the episodes because lockdown and everyone's book events are being cancelled and what was I doing at home? You know, just watching too much Netflix. So I was, you know, went from one interview a week to four and now I tell myself I'm going to slow down, but I can't say no to good books. So here I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, good on you. Good on you. Um, someone needs to do it. You know. <laughs> May as well be me, right? Yeah, everyone's <laughs> at home. So um, I feel like I want, I'd love to see the podcast consumption statistics for the last 18 months as well. Like, I mean, I, I know from... 2015 to 2020, it went from, uh, I, did, I did this recently because I was teaching a workshop thing. I think it went from 7 or 8% uh, of Australians listening to podcasts. I think it's pretty close to 50% now. Wow. Um, that's really cool. Because I think yeah. when I started, I started in 2017, it was like less than 10% of people were listening to podcasts. Yeah. But I found, um, I don't know, percents. I probably should work out percents. Not a maths person. But the podcast went from sort of 3,000 listens a month in before 2020 to now 16,000 a month. Yeah, shit. That's so right. people are like... 16. Yeah. Should be able to do the maths, but... I Well, no. I could pretend, but I'd be on my phone and then I'd probably get the percentage. 130% or something, I think. Well, you know, I don't know. I think maybe a combination of lockdown, a combination of like... The more authors you get on, I guess, the more interest you have and just cracking out the episodes. But it's pretty cool. I really yeah. like that people are engaging with, you know, books and authors. So that's cool, right? 
Yeah, and, and I found <clears throat> um, oddly uh, the more frequently when I was, I'm not really podcasting these days, but when I was, the more frequently I posted podcasts, I thought, wow, people only want one a month or whatever, you know. And so I thought if you do more, um, those people will still only want one a month. And I sort of choose to, it's just this odd thinking that mm. made no sense to me at the time. It's because that's how I consume. I'd be like, yeah. I'd listen to podcasts for an hour, two hours a month. And that's um, it, yeah. And that's it. And But if there's more there, more content and the content's quality, then people listen to loads, loads. Yeah, and it's interesting. I think it's a choice too, you know, and I think that's good. It's not something you have to do. You engage in it when you want to. You know, just because at the moment I'm putting out three episodes a week, but you could listen to one or none or three or binge or go back to episode 72 and 152. Sorry, yeah. 71 and 152. Go back in time and see if I've been worse at this. <laughs> probably have. Well, let me know if you want to get back into podcasting. We'll do some amazing crossover or something. It'd be great. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. I know. <clears throat> I know. I feel like you can do the heavy lifting on this. <laughs> and you just write these amazing books so well, i'll just turn up and chat and amazing uh, book envy and yeah. it is an amazing book do you think we should talk about your book um yeah why not i think <laughs> would like that i don't mind we could talk about anything but we should probably mention it it's a great book by the way <clears> we're <throat> going to start as i always start with an elevator pitch please for the last guests Okay. How long is that? So that's what, like a couple of lines. Um, well, depends on how tall the elevator is. Yeah, how tall the building the top, is. We're going to the top floor. Let's do it. This is the, we're in, we're in the, um, what is it? In, uh, Empire Dubai. State? Yeah. Uh, is it, what's the tallest? There's something taller than that, surely. Anyway, uh, it is, um, so basically it's a story about a couple who are hoping to make a bit of money by renting out their um holiday home on an equivalent of airbnb called we stay and um they don't realize this at the time but it turns out someone who stays has installed cameras in the property um is that enough no i'll also say twists and turns (laughs) of course gripping thriller uh no that's all true true. i mean that's the premise um JP, that's terrifying because we've all used Airbnb or whatever it is we use. And now that is going to be in my head until the end of time. So thank you for that. This is we stay. Yeah, I know. I know we stay. But now every time I stay at a property that is creepy, it's so creepy. It's just going to be in my head now every time I stay at a property that's not my own. So I appreciate that. Well, it's odd because... um, we had a little apartment. We don't have it anymore, but we had a little apartment which we lived in in the city. Um, and we have a tiny little writer's retreat up in Clunes in rural Victoria. And so we did this thing where we'd just listen both on Airbnb and we'd go stay at the one that wasn't taken. Or sometimes we'd just go away, like we'd go to Adelaide or New Zealand or Tasmania or something. And we would... Um, yeah, we, we we would just get some a little bit of income from from them, um, and we still Airbnb our property out up in Clunes, um, and so it was this, it's just this thing where I it, it all started. I tell the story a lot, but it all started with one question: we leave a bottle of wine out for guests usually, um, and, and and certainly when we started because you're so anxious about someone's just giving you money for nothing. It feels like so you're like, oh, I better just make this the best kind of 
And then you eventually give up and just, you know, whatever. Um, but, <laughs> Here's a Mars bar. Yeah. To begin <laughs> with, you know, we get nice soaps and a bottle of wine and Lovely. a little welcome pack. And we were, you know, we got really good reviews and people loved it. And, um, and like, we communicate with them a lot before they got there. So um, we find that Kiwis are staying, for instance, and I'll go get, you know, L&P and, and whatever snacks that kiwis eat bluebird chips and stuff lovely um yeah so we go to go to lamps but we would always leave a bottle of wine out and it's the question that sort of kicked this whole thing off was um we came home one day and uh and there's a bottle of wine in the fridge and a, probably about a glass was gone from the bottle um and it's a nice probably 25 dollar bottle of wine um can't remember what it was chardonnay or something and i was like do you think we can we can drink this <laughs> Oh dear. And, and I think the answer was no from my wife, which is sensible. Uh, but you think, it would be a no from me too, I'm sorry. Yeah. But you kind of think, you know, if you go to a bar, they sit, they open the bottle, they pour it into a glass, give it to you, and then they do the same, someone else and someone else, and no one's drinking out of the bottle. They were, they're an older couple. I think they're in town for a wedding or something. And so in my head, I thought... The risks of anything possibly going on from this is so astronomically low, but it yeah. feels uncomfortable, right? Mm. And so, so we didn't. Um, but I began to think, well, what could have happened to this wine? They have a, <laughs> they have a cold, and they drank out of the bottle. If they had a cold, they're touching my stuff anyway. We may get it. So I sort of thought, well, you know, that's not that bad. And I sort of, I, I, I tend to think in worst case scenarios, and I think Gee, pretty- I never would have guessed that, JP. Well. <laughs> Believe it or not, uh, no, and, and and I sort of um, and I sort of think, you know, I think I'm pretty rational, and I, I think everyone thinks that, and they're wrong, and I'm probably wrong, but I, I tend to think um, in likelihoods as well, and, and I'm, I, I try to crunch the numbers, and I think, you know, what's if someone did this, why would they do this? What would be the chance of them doing this? And that's sort of a good way to mitigate fear if you if you're worried about something. Um, and I, I thought, I just kept thinking worst case scenarios. They burn the place down, we're insured. Um, you know, they eat all our food, we give them a bad review. It does, it's, you know, $100 worth of food. You know, so, so, so sort of thinking, what's the worst that can happen? They piss off our neighbors. All these things will go from my head. And then they get more and more extreme, you know. And I, thought, <laughs> and I sort of thought, what, what's the worst thing someone could do to us? And I thought, if someone was an absolute um voyeur you know and they know we rent our place out and they can see it all online when it's rented out because that's when it's blocked out um what if they put installed cameras and so i thought wow how much would that cost and it turned out it's not a lot and it's pretty to get reasonably sophisticated surveillance equipment these days the size of a sort of pinhead um we're talking under a thousand bucks really terrifying yeah yeah so so it's sort of and, and, you know, you can get more sophisticated with it. You can, there's all sorts of stuff you can do. But we aren't talking in the tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars for what was the stuff of spy movies in the 70s. This, this stuff's, anyone get it, it's cheap. Um, and, you know, you can just order it online if you, if you know where to look. So I thought, well, that's conceivable and possible. And, and the more and more I went down this rabbit hole, the more I thought, if you were looking for this, you wouldn't be able to find it online anyway. If people are sharing this material, you know, it's not like people advertising it um and voyeurs do exist and they've existed for all the time and i think everyone to some extent is voyeur. so i sort of 
start to think, and I know this doesn't answer your question, but um, I love this tangent, so just keep going. Yeah, but when we think about everything else that's changed um, the world in terms of that, that's what do they call it when they um, disrupt a, an industry? All these different kind of apps and technologies, we, we almost, the, the downsides tend to be pretty invisible to us because um, we're so excited about convenience and we're so excited about the potential of this new and novel thing. Um, and yeah, Airbnbs are like awful for small small economies sometimes. It can really, um, certainly property markets, I mean, um, but it can also really upset, you know, um, the balance of a place like uh, Bali, for instance. I know there's been, you know, I know there's been lots of, it's, it's quite easy to get a hotel license or whatever in Bali, but it still has, what it's done to the property market there is insane. Um, and and so, and same with Tasmania, you know, Hobart's really pushed back on it and, and tax laws and there's, there's just so much that's evil about some of these organisations. And I think about Uber, I think about a lot because I remember how much I hated taxis. I hated them so much. I thought they were necessary evil, but how taxi drivers were treating people in Melbourne was like, it was abhorrent. And, you know, you would wait for like an hour in a queue outside of Crown Casino at 1am um, to get home. And I used to walk home and I lived in Williamstown at the time when I was 18. And Williamstown from the city for people outside of Melbourne, you have to cross what's called the Westgate Bridge, which at the time didn't have these great big barriers up it and was renowned for um, for suicides, you know. So cops stop and pick you up and take you to the other side. And I knew that. So I would get a lift across that bridge. And then I'd walk to Williamstown. And so if you walk from you know, the city to Williamstown, we're talking hours of walking. Um, wow. Because of how much I hated taxis and, and because I, I thought, well, I'm going to wait in queue for an hour. I might as well walk. I hope to get lucky and throw my thumb out along the way. Anyway, I know this is a real tangent now. <laughs> I um, love tangents. Don't worry about it. Anyway, well, I was so excited by the potential of Uber and stuff like that. But now, you know, when you kind of, when you just drill into the surface of what Uber is and what Uber does, one, there's all sorts of privacy things, but two, um, we're, we're talking about an industry that really doesn't, you can't really unionise. Like it's it's a, it's an industry where um, basically that the works have zero rights. You know, I, I don't, I'm not the person to talk about this, but I have read a lot about, you know, the, the issues with organisations like Uber. So I thought Airbnb is one that gets by and flies under the radar. But of course, when you let someone into your home, um, and you invite someone into your private little world, things can go wrong. Mm. That answers your question. Yeah, no, great. And, you know, as you were thinking that, as you were saying that, I read this article about hotels and how people, they boil their undies in the kettle. <laughs> yeah, that's a weird thing. I've cooked, I've cooked noodles in the kettle when I was backpacking around and it was disgusting about See, no, there's nothing disgusting about that. So well, I think no, that people use yeah, this all sorts right. Of and so I've oh, okay. So here's an insight into my brain. I've never really been a fan of using the kettle in the hotel for reasons I can't explain. So I've always gone down to the bar and got a tea, or you know, like a big nerd that I am, or you know, I have been known to bring my own kettle to a hotel. Right? <laughs> you were on top of this years ago. <laughs> and then I read this article. I'm like. This is why I was doing this. People are boiling their underwear in the bloody kettle. So I don't know. I just had a vibe about it. 
Yeah. I mean, I used to, this is kind of gross, but. Um, oh, tell me, please. No, it's, it's not that gross, actually. When I, was, <laughs> when I was broke and I was sort of backpacking around and stuff, um, I would, if I was staying somewhere nice enough with a kettle and it was like a motel or hotel or something, um, because they don't really tend to have cooking facilities, have you noticed? You know, mm. like, yeah. I'm, I'm just thinking, I was in Vanuatu for a bit. And I remember staying somewhere and I'd um, I'd just put, get a packet of noodles and, and some eggs and some veggies and I'd just put them in the kettle and I'd hold the button down on the kettle. Mm. It continues to boil and it boils and boils and boils and you can cook veggies, you can boil eggs and, wow. and I'm not big kind of thing. Um, and now that, and it's kind of like. It's very creative. You, yeah, but you don't want anything to like sit on the element for too long, but the boiling water kept, sort of keeps it away. Um and I thought, um, yeah, I thought that was pretty safe, but apparently people use the kettle for all sorts of stuff. Mind you, boiling kills all the bacteria. That's right. That's right. It's, it's just disgusting. the thought of it. It's the thought yeah. of someone's undies in my tea. I'm not a fan. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's disgusting. And you can empty it out, but yes. it still would be. I just know. want to know why people aren't cleaning their undies in the shower. Do you have an answer to this question? This wasn't in, this wasn't in my list of questions, by the way, JB. Why you wouldn't just like pack enough? Or pack enough. But if you were desperate, you could just wash them in the shower, bring them out, hang them up, hair dry them, you'd be fine. Just go for a swim. Like who's holidaying somewhere where there isn't a beach? You can just go swim in your underwear and give them a scrub. Or what if you just like went out for the day without your underwear? Chuck on your pants? No, no. <laughs> I don't go anywhere cold enough to where it's like you're not just swimming all the time. It's very This conversation has taken a turn, JP. Yeah, that's not not even what this is so far from what the book's about. (laughs) This is what happens when you you're a repeat guest. You're just like, oh, that's right, I wrote a book. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question. I don't know where the answer's gonna go, JP. That's the fun part. No, I like that. that. I'm learning things. (laughs) Learning terrible things that you never wanted to know. But, yeah, so with your books, right, and I've listed them, Call Me Evie, Tell Me Lies, um, The Last Guess, of course, you know, you come up with such great ideas, okay, but a great idea alone is not a book, right? So I want to know how you go from this light bulb moment of an idea and you go, yes, this is a great idea, you know, what's the worst case scenario of renting your home out? And then I just find it amazing that you can just then craft this complex psychological thriller with these amazing characters, like every time, every time you're nailing it. How does that work from idea to developing that idea to chucking away ideas? Like, is there a way that you have written these books or a way that you shape these ideas to make these incredible psychological thrillers? Simple question, really. <laughs> no, I think I think they're all different. Um, and and they all present different challenges and stuff. And and you know, there's no formula or whatever. And every time you write a book, you learn how to write that particular book. Mm, I like that. There's all sorts of there's all sorts of things that people have said, and I, I I don't think I can say it any better. That you kind of you do you do just sort of learn that book and how to write it and what's wrong with it and how to fix it. Um, I think you know my I think my strengths as a writer. Um, would probably be in problem solving, I think, and, mm-hmm. and thinking. And I think just, I think um, thinking outside of the box is something I think I've always been pretty good at. I think most writers probably are. But um, 
I, I have a lot more ideas than I can use for an like, you know, I, I just sometimes I'll just go down the path of exploring a completely random, insane idea. And if it, I might waste a couple of months and it doesn't work and I'll go back. Um, but with this book, with The Last Guest, that insane idea was, I mean, I get lots of comments on the structure and I think it's the structure is different enough that people like that or they hate it because they want something really familiar um and and you know if i talk too much about the structure it would kind of ruin yeah part of it but one thing that was happening in earlier drafts was um a narrative was going backwards and one narrative was going forwards and they sort of collide at the end of the actual pages but right in the middle of the story and all the parts were palindromes and, you know, as in it reads wow. as forwards. And, and, and there was just these insanely convoluted um, threads about kind of cause and effect and, and you know, the arrow of time or whatever. And, and so I, I, I just tried to do a lot more than I needed to, I think. But if it worked, it would have been amazing. Um, and, and so that's sort of my writing processes um much like everyone else you know i just write and write and write and i i'm endlessly exploring possibilities but i think i can project pretty far ahead in terms of whether something's going to work so i can try these crazy ideas and i don't need to commit a whole year to really really developing them and i can make that a call reasonably early and mm. um, and i think that's sort of how you can make and even with this one, you know, I, sometimes I wish I had more time. Um, but you work, but I'm working to a sort of someone else's schedule a lot now. And so, you know, with the one I'm working on at the moment, I've written the first 15, 20, 30,000 words at seven or eight times. Probably, I'll, I'll probably be up to about the eighth or ninth time, I think. Mm -hmm. um, it's, and it says V1.7 or something. Which complete means, rewrites or editing yeah, up, to where, up to where i am yeah absolutely yeah yeah, yeah. so wow. I'm, so I'm, and, and i say that i've got the other thing open and i'll sort of look at parts and go oh, that scene still works and it's just and i've gone backwards and forwards and tried different things you know and you get to about the 15 20 000 word point and then i and then i've got enough there that i can kind of imagine if it works or not and 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 the other thing i think about is am i using the full potential of this premise. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not a way that literary writers write, you know, they don't, they aren't, you know, when I, when I say literary writers, I mean, people writing specifically in, you know, literary genre and writing for the, as an, as a sort of artistic thing, more so than, a, than a something that entertains people, you know, like I, I don't mean to, um, you know, draw that line because it doesn't necessarily exist for everyone. But for me, I think when I'm trying to write something literary and beautiful and poetic, it's, it's a different type of writing for me. Mm -hmm. and so my books, like I am writing something more commercial. So I'm thinking about, um, you know, the end while I'm writing. I'm, I'm imagining how all the future scenes play out. I'm not putting these characters there and just seeing what they do and, and, and observing and writing that. I'm kind of you know pushing them in a direction and and so I think when I'm when I'm like I said my, I think my strength is problem solving because I can 
kind of let let it go enough that they get in these situations. I think how are they there, how do they get out of it, who's involved, and and imagine the the way the best way it would work for a reader. Um, so yeah, I, I, again, I don't know if that answers your question because that's the only that's the one thing I do do every time. Everything else is different, you know. Um, but the one thing I I do every single time is I um, I'm just constantly thinking about the end and thinking about the, the way I can make this because I usually start with a premise or a concept and I think what's the absolute most satisfying best use of this concept and so if you look at the last guests um, for example I was thinking you know there was something where there was cameras and Airbnbs but um, there wasn't a world of voyeurs there was it was it wasn't someone you you weren't experiencing it through the hosts as well if that makes sense yeah yeah so in this I wanted both people who rent their properties on Airbnbs but people who stay in Airbnbs so I wanted both sides of that to experience anxiety so, so the main characters find cameras in their Airbnb property but you also see how it affects people who stay in these properties too and so I wanted to show that but before in earlier drafts I couldn't quite I wasn't sticking the landing of those sorts of things so I had to change the story and there was one or two drafts including that palindromes kind of structure that just collapse on itself um <laughs> sounds very clever though very ambitious yeah i think i think i sometimes I try to be too clever and that was definitely the case um but but you know with those those two or three drafts that were were so horrible and i got so wrong i i, I got to about eighty thousand, wow hundred thousand words and scrap basically scrap them wow and so this time with the last guess i have been and it's also, you know, you do that and get to the end and that projecting what it's going to be like when you do make changes in the edits and stuff, that's when that came in. You know, I was thinking, well, next time I go through, I can do this. And then I was sort of thinking, but then this doesn't work, this falls over, that won't be very fun for the reader, uh, that doesn't make sense. And so at that stage, I was just going through it all. Whereas now at 20,000, in these draft, drafts, the new book, I'm thinking um, really deeply about the story. And it's also cleaner, I think. Mm -hmm. This story's cleaner. I'm not not letting it get away on me quite as much. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't help anyone, I suppose. I love that. No, but I love hearing about other people's processes. And so what I'm hearing, correct me if I'm wrong, is that it's really important to get the first 20,000, 30,000 words right and that will help you get the rest of the way, like rewriting it like eight times or whatever, maybe more, and then nailing that and then you can sort of project. Yeah, and I, and I think just... Um, I think just it's important to think deeply about the potential of your story when it when we get to the end. You know, mm. what, what if you if you've realised the potential of your story, what does it look like? Mm -hmm. And as you're writing, you can kind of refer to that. And um, we have this thing we build this kind of beautiful structure in our in our brain. You know, we we build this temple that's perfect and that's the story. And then when you drag it all out it just all falls down you know it doesn't work and and so um you 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 kind of that's your blueprint and what, what you had in your brain originally you got to refer back to that like how you imagine that story that's that's the potential of it because you always imagine it the best it can be yeah and as you're writing we all lose it and then so you need to refer back to that blueprint as you're writing and um 
And so you might get to that, like I said, I get to 20,000 words and then I go, no, 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 this isn't, this isn't how I imagined it. This isn't the, I've, I've let the kind of story get away from me. And it's not about forcing, for me, it's not about forcing characters uh, to, to, to follow a script. Cause I think that's, that can be problematic for writers as well. If you're, if it's too um, plotted or you're forcing these great complex characters to, to act in a certain way, cause then it's not surprising for you and, and it won't be surprising for the reader. But when I say how you imagine your head, I'm just talking about the, the potential yeah. of the story. You know, not every single thread has to be in your head before you start. You don't have to think of every subplot or, or everything like that but just the potential of the concept. What I really love about what you're saying is that you're not afraid just to abandon something if you don't think it's working. Like, I love how you just like 20,000 words, even 80,000 words, not working, not start again. Like, I think that's amazing because I think a lot of people would struggle to do that. But you do keep something as well. Yeah. One, you get better. You're getting, you're, yeah. you're getting better as a writer every, every word you put down. I, I believe that. You, you yeah. Know. And um, sometimes you need to write those words that didn't work to write the words that do work. Yeah, correct. But, but you know, it's also you'll retain characters, scenes, insights, great lines. You'll yep. retain all sorts of stuff that might be surprising. But, you know, you're letting go of um, the crap. And, you know, I, I think some of my books are better than others, um, but they're all as good as they could have been for me at the time, you know. And, and so I don't, I won't stop you know i i also think because i'm writing to a schedule now that's gonna that's starting to present challenges where i, where mm -hmm. I, I want to get the best book i can before it goes to print you know yeah. um and that's a different challenge for me um because i'm at a point where you know that's what my publishers expect but when you're starting out you don't have that mm. um do you find there's a point in your writing where like the self-doubt creeps in or the, the real hard challenges came in. I spoke to Jack Heath the other day and he said every time three quarters in, riddled with self-doubt and anxiety, is there a point of the writing process where you get to that? Um, after the book's published, I reckon. Interesting. Yeah. No, I don't, I, I don't care at all about anything while I'm writing and editing except deadlines, you know. Mm -hmm. I just want to get this. I, I, I'm thinking I hope I've got enough time to get it as good as I think I can. And then when I hit send, I usually feel pretty good about it. I, I, you know, that, and that's because the closer I get to deadlines, the longer the days become. And, um, and even at the moment I'm working to a deadline and uh, just working my ass off and, um, and liking it because I'm really deep in the story. You know, you don't have time to escape it, especially in lockdown. You know, like yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't, I'm not thinking about anything other than the story when I'm, even when I'm not writing. Um, and, and I think, I think that's pretty healthy. I know Jack and I, I can imagine he would, he'd be like that. And I, um, I have self doubt, you know, before and during that self doubt, I, I exercise it by going, there's something, there is something wrong. I think I'm pretty realistic about it. Um, and then when the book comes out, I just hate it. And <laughs> That's when the self-doubt comes in. I don't think anyone's, you know, there's nothing you can achieve that that away, I don't think. Um, I love that. The book comes out, I just hate it. Yeah, I do. It's great. Oh, anyway. I really like In the Clearing now. Um, and I don't mind. I loved In the Clearing. Oh, yeah. I think so I good. still, I think, you know, I, I also think I know, which, you know, like, it's like my favourite, 
you know your favorite kid you, ca- you can't really say it but i, I certainly know what <laughs> so funny. <laughs> isn't it the kid that's not annoying you that day that's your favorite one yeah but then with the books <laughs> i'm like i know like i love this book more than the others hmm. do you think that's because of the process of writing it or you just like the way it turned out better or did you have a more positive experience if that was the case i would like tell me lies the most because that was was just so easy um but it's definitely in the clearing and and i think at the before it came out i thought this was my best book i'll never write a book as good as this again and then after i still i didn't stop thinking it was a good book um maybe for 10 minutes after then even like you know it had really good reviews and stuff so um that was great but even so you know like i think all my books have had pretty good reviews and i still some of them i don't i don't really care for Um, (laughs) well i've got a review here about the last guest someone has said a well-earned reputation as an emerging master of the taut and fast-flowing psychological thriller and the last guest is no exception it's a pretty good review that's nice yeah some people think this is my best book um like friends and stuff and i'm like it's it's definitely not i think interesting uh, i think in the clearing is um but but everyone should still read the last guest because it's creepy so creepy the first chapter amazing yeah yeah, yeah. it's so creepy jp seriously i was reading the first chapter and i was looking at you know all the bits and pieces in my house a bit differently thinking i wonder if there's a camera hidden in my light switch I think it's it's funny because so many people are like um, it's also this is really conceivable the um, yeah totally the, the people thing is you know some of the research I did was talking to someone who informs uh, policy on um, on well he was in the UK informing policy so he was dealing with a politician and he was sort of a conduit between investigative bodies that were um, looking into basically pedophile rings and and um people are sharing child pornography and that sort of thing and so i i asked them about how this material is shared online who what's the market like who buys it and stuff like this and he said so what two things he said that were that stayed with me one was about one in ten of these people get caught he goes so 90 percent of people who are viewing or wow. uh, producing That's massive uh, yeah yeah and he and he said you know the they really target people producing this stuff more than wow. the user because it's so hard to get the end user. Is it like dark web stuff? Is that where you find it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he was talking all about that. And um, and I hate that and it makes me feel sick. But the thing he said was that they, he's like, the resources that go into it across, you know, all these different investigative bodies, like it's insane how much money, how much time, how many cops, what they put into trying to break these rings up. And wow. we've got one in 10. And so he said, he goes, this something like this would definitely be happening. People would be doing this. It might just be a private, it might be two guys, you know, one in one country, one another who are sharing their own footage or whatever. But he said, it's, it will definitely be happening. There is a market for it. And it would be so low priority because it has such, the effects aren't nearly as devastating as, you know, something like child pornography, for mm. instance, really abhorrent. Um, but he said, you know, Something like this would be when people find out they feel icky about it, but not angry enough to kind of lobby politicians to spend, you know, more on it. And so the, the thing about it is because it would be so low priority um, and much less risky, if there is enough money, people would do it. Um, and 
the you know everyone's got the means really like you can it's so easy to book an airbnb and to set up an airbnb profile you simply need an id and a credit card and you can get a you can get a debit card that's not attached to your name a visa debit card you can also get you could buy a uh, you know, a license. I feel like this is hot tips for criminals. <laughs> yeah, go out and do it. Do it. It'll sell me more books, actually. Like, oh, my God. This is like, after uh, I listened to JP on the Words Nerds <laughs> podcast, I set up this crime ring to watch people in their yeah. hotel rooms. I yeah. mean. <laughs> but, then, but then there has to be a market for it. So you have to find someone to sell it to. Um, but the, the other thing that's sort of, you know, about in this vein, um, when you look at stuff, like this when you look at you know voyeurism is um a scale and everyone now in my view everyone's on the scale you know yeah with social media absolutely like it's it's just this odd thing it's such an like natural impulse to want to view the lives of others and it's and it's like people don't tend not to think of things like like a, a paparazzi shot inside someone's home like, what, why do you think that's not voyeurism? Like, when you look at us mm. weekly or something, mm. well, how does that make you feel? You're looking at someone's private life, a candid mm. moment in their house. If you think that's not voyeurism, but you think voyeurism is a stranger looking into a stranger's house, like, we, we do it all the time. We yeah, want to do absolutely. It. And those types of publications, they normalise that behaviour. Yeah, they do. And we've we've kind of, I mean, it's... It seems harmless, but it's really not. You know, mm. paparazzi's like pretty horrible. Yeah. There's a there's a market for it because we're it's that same thing. We're all voyeurs to some extent. Yeah. Um. And and I'm interested at where people um, themselves personally draw the line. You know, like as a thought experiment. Like, mm. at, at what point is it? In your view, is it is it voyeurism? At what point is it problematic? Um, yeah. You know, is it problematic if you're passing someone's home and the curtains are open and you glance over. Is that, you know, that's people are like, oh, yeah, that's okay. But what, like, what if you notice someone you know in there and you want to just stare for a minute? Is that, you know, so, so you can kind of yeah, and see at what point it becomes something they're not comfortable with. Um, that is interesting. And I imagine everyone would have a little bit of a different perspective and line in the sand. Yeah, I think everyone's pretty uncomfortable with the cameras and the Airbnb. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or the peeping Tom. I think everyone can agree with that. Yeah, I think, like, as soon as it's... Um, Deliberate yeah, and considered, like, yeah. In the form of gratification, you know, like yeah. I, th- I think if someone is doing it for, like, some sort of sexual gratification or if it's, like, revenge or something, you know, or to scare someone, like, all those things are problematic. Yeah, totally. Um, Curiosity is a—it's a really hard thing, you know. Like it's also this the um, rear window kind of thing, you know. Mm. All sorts of um, books and films that are a similar premise. That's um, why social media is so popular. I mean, I know it's very curated because you have a choice of what you put on, but people keep going back to it. Yeah, so, and, and people—I don't think we all realize how much we open up. Um, ourselves and our lives and and I you know I think something about this book is as much as it's not a polemic or a, you know it's 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 a, it's entertainment but I do think and I, and this is um, something I feel quite strongly about that we don't all think deeply enough about our relationship with phones and you know there's all sorts of documentaries and statistics everyone knows you know the famous story about Silicon Valley 
the kiddos how they don't send their kids to schools of technology and they ban phones in the house or whatever. So we've all heard this and we all know this and we all are still so addicted. Um, and we all, no one reads the terms and conditions of anything and, and, and I include myself in that. Um, no one self-excludes from any of these things, even after they stop using them. So all your old photos and your data and, and all this sort of stuff are on there and, and they're all sharing your data. And, and so just all of this is just really icky. Mm. And I think that the other thing just sort of on note on the surveillance is there's this kind of odd belief that I also very strongly disagree with that if I'm not doing something wrong, then I don't have a problem with being all of my activity being mapped and all of my data being sold. Yeah. Because you can't, your, your brain is not, and, and again, I include myself and everyone in this, but you, your brain's not, um, doesn't have any natural defenses to the level of, um, the level of, I guess, programming, but what's the word? They're, they're basically going to win. The, you know, the advertisers and yeah. tech companies and, um, and apps and social media, they're going to win because they have psychologists on the payroll who are, you know, behavioural economists, they're leaving top schools and taking the big money to make you more addicted. And, um, I, and I always wonder if there's going to be a swing because we are, like, by all means, the guinea pigs of this kind of digital revolution with social media and phones in our pockets, etc. You know, we are the guinea pigs of that. So I wonder if there's going to be a swing back. But then you think it connects us so greatly that that's a bit addictive too. And I don't want to sound like a neo-Luddite or anything, but like um, all these things that come with the promise of convenience and certainly deliver on that, um, there's also, you know, the Trojan horses, there's also something else we're yeah. usually giving up. And there's that saying in Silicon Valley or whatever, if, if, if it's free, you're the product, you know. Yeah. And it's the same as, you know, social media as well, thinking that, you know, because 13,000 people like your thing or whatever they like you, that's not, that's not real. Well, don't get me started on, um, <laughs> on that. I, I mean, you need only look at controversial online figures to realise how out of control they actually are. Like that that feedback loop mm. of the one, this the the, the preaching to the choir. So, of course, the choir is going to sing for them. And, you know, that, that feedback loop is so powerful, like getting likes and then putting something else that's basically the same. Like all your content becomes really aligned to your audience yeah. Yeah. because you need those likes. And, and you know, I admire um, as much as I disagree with certain people, I admire people that stay stuff that pisses all their followers off and pisses everyone that <laughs> it suggests to me that they, they can break away from just pure you know trying to get those likes and and that addiction to although life. if i throw a spanner in the works there do you reckon some people go against that to even get more attention because it gets retweeted and it gets commented on and they again gain a whole new audience Maybe, no i would say if they do do that because um, it's usually like of a political nature when they do stuff like this. I would yeah. say if they do do it, sometimes they have misread mm -hmm. about what their audience wants and, and they might backtrack, whatever. Mm. I don't think... It's interesting though, isn't it? Yeah, I, I don't think they're ever really conscious of it. And so that's when we become like pol uh, polemicists or whatever. That, that's when all of a sudden um, 
we don't really consider the binary of anything. We mm. just, it's just all aligns with, with this worldview. That's what a chat, cool. JP. Yeah. Seriously. Well, it's pretty depressing, isn't it? No, it's great. I love it. I love <laughs> the tangent. I love the deep nature of it. Now, I've asked you before why you write, so I'm not going to ask you that again. So you ready for my last question? It would probably be a different answer, actually. Every Yeah, book. you know yeah. what? It would be. It would be. <laughs> and I, I think that's true, but I thought, oh, I'll hit you with something different. So what defines a J.P. Palmare book? Oh. Um, <laughs> you really, you know, this is a real curveball. Yeah, sorry. Because um, you can't <laughs> say anything good. Yeah. <laughs> You can like, say whatever you want, JP, because yeah, your books uh, are amazing. Yeah, but like I, I would say, uh, I would say just suspenseful. I don't know. I, I think twisty. I definitely think. It, um, I think that's feedback I get is that my work tends to be surprising or twisty. I would say there's lots of misdirection and sleight of hand and trickery. I would love to say, you know, um, deep characters and you know, great characterization or great setting. Um, but, you know, that, that's not for me to judge. I'll, I'll tell you what I work on, though, is um, is trying to let these settings that I that I usually love, places I usually love, that's been the case for the four books so far. Um, I try to let setting um, come to life in every, every draft. I try to make it stronger. Um, but I'd say twists, um, setting characters everything <laughs> all the elements of fiction no i'd say twists and suspense would be the defining features of i would agree but i also think you do um really touch on those important issues too like of control and violence if we're talking about evie and in the clearing and with this you know uh, we're talking about you know those companies that are overtaking for convenience so i think you do sort of delve into those really i think, I think you're right in that um I write about family. I write about family in all my all my work, accidentally, usually. Um, but, you know, my family's a big part of my life. And, you know, someone pointed out, and I've said this, I might have said this in an interview in the class, but someone pointed out and was writing more short fiction and stuff. Um, but certainly in my novels, except for uh, Tell Me Lies, um, but my work tends to always have, the protagonist tends to only have one parent. Mm-hmm. So, and because um, I because my I lost my mum when I was ten, um, so was I ten? No, I was eleven. Sorry, uh, two thousand. Yeah, so I was eleven. I lost my mum when I was eleven, and wow. uh, and so I sort of you know mm. that's that's only a third of my life basically, um, and so yeah, so so I, I didn't notice that, and it's a bias, you know. It's one of those wow. things. I, was, I, was, I couldn't write. A normal family with two mm. parents. Um, so I think oh, I write- that's so interesting, JP. That that obviously something so awful that happened to you and that pain shapes you, and you didn't even know it. Like yeah, but I but I just think it's it's easier, you know. Certainly when you're starting out, it's easier to kind of fall on what you know. And and mm. I and I found what and, and I couldn't even imagine what's it like having two parents. You know, you know, as Sad, but even though you did yeah. for a third of your life, which is a yeah, reasonable yeah. chunk, reasonable. Yeah, but but also you know you don't remember any of that. Um, yeah, you don't. You know, so, so it's also yeah. like I don't know. You like like your formative years. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, don't really don't really 
begin, I don't think, until mm. right. Yeah. You know, you 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 sort of evolve wow. until then. So um, so yeah, so, so it's, it's just this thing where I, I, it was a failure of imagination to some extent, but I just I couldn't write in that perspective, get in that character's head without it. You know, if they've mm. got yeah, I don't see it as a failure of imagination. I see it as correct me if I'm wrong, something that has just affected you in such a deep way that you didn't know it and you kind of have to write it out. Yeah, there's probably, there's probably something, you know, way deep down under the, all the layers there, you know, that would mm. surface. But I think, I think, yeah, I, I just think it's, maybe you're right, maybe you're right. Um, but certainly when well, I'm maybe not, I'm not. It was just the way I read it. <laughs> Don't let me tell you your experience. No, but I, think, I, th- I think it's just when I'm writing, it doesn't, it just doesn't, that's not, my intention yeah 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 I, I don't write it's there's nothing deliberate or conscious about mm, it but that's uh, what's so special about it you know it still comes out yeah 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 and to, and it's um i think it's happening less now and and the other thing because I, I say that because what i'm working on at the moment and this may change but um it will become clear eventually why this is the case but it's set in the states um and i've spent a bit of time uh, New York and LA, uh, Seattle, but not really in the area where this is set, which is sort of imagining it as upstate New York. Um, and and but but I have read a lot and and watched a lot of kind of shows and stuff that are from well well the Midwest, but um, that area as well. And so I was sort of thinking, you know, that's that's something I've always drawn on as setting to really drive the story. And so. Um, it's the same with this kind of bias towards writing characters with one parent is I think now that I've run out of stories I'm really comfortable with, now that I'm really having to start from scratch, I'm starting from scratch in every possible way, you know, in terms of setting Mm. my characters, I'm imagining what it would be like to be this person with all these things, whereas all my other characters, so much of me are in them. It's really interesting, sort of pushing those boundaries as a writer and a creator. Yeah, and, and even I think the last guess was that was pretty. I sort of broke away more. Like I'd say, you know, people who read Call Me Evie and In the Clearing would identify me in the protagonist, you know, habits I have and and whatever, and they're very kind of internal um, people. You know, they, they, they've got they, they they're really in their own heads and overthink things, and definitely in In the Clearing. Um, mm. And uh, and then with Tell Me Lies as well, to some extent, you know, although, you know, we are different. I think there's also, I, I have a real interest in for years have read, um, you know, psych, like I've, I've always loved psychology and, and found that so fascinating and she's a psychologist. So even that was pretty close to my own interest. And mm-hmm. I think the last guest to some extent, um, you know, the, the Maori boys, the two main characters, and it's set in New Zealand and basically set in my hometown of um, Rotorua, which is outside of that, actually, Tarawera. But it's sort of, you know, I, I see so much of me still in that book where what I'm working on right now is I, I'm just inventing from scratch. And so I'm, I think, you know, my main character is nothing like any of my other characters. And, um, and I love even- this, though, because as a reader you get to see the journey of you as a writer. Like, I think that's really cool because I've read your books, all of them, chronologically from when they've been published. And so as a reader, I feel like that's a really special thing. And then to see your next one that's even more far removed, like, I find that really cool. Yeah, and, and you know, readers, 
um, and book sellers have pointed out that they're all really different. I'm not, I don't tend to write, like I'm interested in saying that I move on. Um, They're they're as different as they can be in terms of they're all domestic psychological suspense kind of things. Um, But they're quite different, you know. Um, And the last guess is really different from the previous three. I mean, it's stylistically with the parallels, but other than that. So then I agree. They're JP Pomade books, but they're all very, they're very different and they they stand on their own too, I reckon. Absolutely. From a reader's perspective. And this is really different again. Um, And then every other idea I've got is quite, quite different. There are writers that get really comfortable and just get better at what they're doing mm-hmm. and, and refine that. And um, and then there are writers who just write towards their interests. And I think I do that. I just I go down rabbit holes and I just get so excited about something and then I, I have to kind of stick with that idea. Um, and I think I'm, the other thing is, you know, the more I write, the more it becomes about the concept as well. Like mm-hmm. I don't like the idea of writing high concept for the sake of it, but I also like to write things that start with a really big question that yeah i mean look at the conversation we've had mm. well, <laughs> yeah yeah and and that started as a big a, a big single question you know should we drink the wine or, uh, <laughs> should we drink the wine and then it just went on from there but you yeah. know what i still have all my questions here on the page i delete them as i ask them and i have them all still here and i find that so great because we have just had a better conversation than we could have had. Throw an email, or maybe I'll. <laughs> <laughs> no, this conversation has been so much more interesting. <laughs> I'll send them on to my bubble sauce. We can reuse them for something. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> but what a chat, JP! I just love having guests a who have been on before because you've had chats before, like deep, long chats about books and all the other things we've talked about. But I really appreciate you know your lengthy, deep vulnerable answers because i think that's makes for a really really special conversation and as a reader and a huge fan of your work i I do i see your work getting better all the time even though i do have a soft spot in the clearing myself i do i always look forward to a new uh, jp pomade book and when i get the publicist emailing me i'm like ah yes of course i'm (laughs) going to speak to jp again are you kidding you're very discerning. I'm, I'm happy that that's your favourite, actually. It is. It is. <laughs> it's funny that you said that because it's it's always been the one that I that really stuck in my head too. Yeah. No, it's I I, I find um, I, it's it's just not reliable for as a fa- I assume it's your favourite, and I'm surprised that it's not. Um, but it's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad it's your favourite. Yeah, absolutely. It is without a doubt. It's funny when you talk to authors because sometimes you don't want to tell them your favourite book of theirs because you think, well, I don't know, maybe I should just love them all equally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, it's surprising how many people still would say Evie's their favourite. Okay. Uh, and I, I think loved Evie. Well, Evie's much, um, it's a suspense and thriller and so on and so forth. Great twist. It's slower and quieter than the mm. others. There's less action. and mm. um, But I'm really interested in the in the concept of In the Clearing too. That personally really interests me. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, I still, I, I revisit it in my mind. I still like the world of In the Clearing, although yeah. they're all the same world, you know. <laughs> it's like the Marvel world, the J.P. Pomade world. 
Well, thank you so much, JP. I've just loved this chat. And I remember at about, you know, seven o'clock, we're like, I will just talk for half an hour as if that was ever going to happen. So (laughs) thank you for being so generous with your time and your answers. I love speaking to you and I love your work. And honestly, I think your books, they're just so inspiring because you have these amazing ideas and you just nail them every time. So thank you for giving me something refreshing to read every time. Amazing. Thanks so much for having me on as well. It's always, always fun. Always fun. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Words and Nerds podcast. We'd love to engage with you on social media. You can find the podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, Danny V Books, Words and Nerds podcast. You can also subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. Stay safe and read more books.